Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. I said I won't do it by myself. Praise God. It's word time. Let's get our Bibles, our devices, or you can watch on the screen. And I want to read from the book of Matthew chapter 2. Oh, come let us adore him. Do you love Jesus today? Praise God. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we are come to worship him. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. I want to minister on this thought today. Jesus, the greatest pursuit. Jesus, the greatest pursuit. Lord, I love you. I love your name. I love your word. I love what you have brought us, Lord, through the death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus, I love your gospel. I thank you, Father, for your peace today. I thank you, Lord, for your help today. Lord, and I, I believe, God, you're going to be with us in this word. Help me to, help me to say, Father, what, what you've been speaking to me this week. Lord, and speak it, Lord, to this people and this church and this body. In Jesus' name, let everybody say amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Jesus, the greatest pursuit. Somewhere in a distant time, in a faraway place, sounds like a movie trailer, doesn't it? There were three men who received a vision that would forever change their destiny and bring glory to God. They have been called in Scripture the Magi, kings, philosophers, astronomers, astrologers, students of science. They were wise men because they were smart men. They were wise men because they were sensitive men. They could read the sky. They could tell the seasons and the stars. <clears throat> These men, professors and philosophers of their day, were not Hebrews. They were outsiders. Amen. Who possibly came from Iraq of all places, modern Iraq. These professionals, brilliant and highly educated scholars who were trained in medicine and history and religions and prophecies and astronomy. They, they were trained in astrology, what we would call that, and, and in that time, astrology was connected to people's search for God. The ancients studied the skies in order to find answers to the great questions of life. They didn't have Google, but they had the stars. Questions like, who am I? Why am I here? 
Where am I going? Tradition calls them kings. We put the number three. But the Bible does not tell us the exact number. They may not have been kings in the way that we think, but no doubt they were of nobility and prestigious. One ordinary night, as many nights before, these wise men gazed into the heavens in the dark and see the sky. Studying the stars had become a routine exercise for them. Time after time, their observations revealed nothing. They saw no uh, sign. They saw nothing special, right? but rather just an open sky. But this night, would be different. Within a matter of moments, these wise men were engulfed in what would be a resplendent light of glory, a unique star that they had not seen before. It was special and spectacular, majestic and mysterious. This was not uh, Cyrus or Vega or Canopus or uh, Rigel or the brightest of the stars of the belt of Orion. This was no Nova star that suddenly became thousand times brighter only to become dim again. This is a different star. It's not like the other 200 billion billion, that's two with 20 zeros behind it, uh, balls of glowing gas in the sky. This was his star. The Bible calls it his star. This was the star of the king of the Jews. This light marked the arrival of Messiah King, Jesus, the Savior of the world. Notice, again, it was not the star that they followed, but it was his star. There is a personal connection in this vision. What would possibly uh, motivated these men, wealthy probably, no doubt, wise uh, in science and educated in, in so many different areas. What would motivate them to start and embark on a thousand-mile treacherous journey across the desert? There is only one answer to that question. <clears throat> they were on a quest to find the king, not just to find him, but to worship him. They packed for their trip to find him and worship him. They were on a journey to find him and worship him, to discover him and to worship him. Amen. The journey of following his star was both hard and long. It wasn't just some overnight trip with a handbag, but it was an investment to come to the presence of the king. It was a journey that was dangerous, peril was everywhere, amen. They faced uh, opposition. They faced attack. They faced marauders and thieves, amen. But one moment of a revelation that hit them, amen, made them say, we will take this trip. Doesn't matter what the cost. It doesn't matter what the peril. It doesn't matter what the obstacle. It doesn't matter what the attack we are on a journey to find the one who is attached to that star. At this point in their journey, the star had only appeared one time. One time, and it threw this into motion. They set out on a journey to find Jesus based on one moment of revelation. Oh, I want to get to where I'm going, but I'm trying to, as my family would tell me, lay my foundation. They invested, they planned, and they spared no expense for this holy quest. Amen. Matthew writes that when they got to Jerusalem and that when King Herod uh, heard these things, he was not overjoyed. He was not filled with hope and revelation, but he was troubled in his mind. And the Bible says, and all Jerusalem with him. The people that should have been looking for the stars did not see it. The ones that had been waiting for 
thousands of years for the promised Messiah to come. They were oblivious to what was going on, but God reaches to outsiders. God reaches to Gentiles, and he calls them on a journey and says, won't you pursue me? Nobody in Jerusalem knew about the star nor the young child that was born. Herod Herod was preoccupied with the pursuit of power and possessions. He was preoccupied with his prestige and his position. Amen. He couldn't be troubled with the story of a star or the potential of a king that would be king of the Jews. He was king. He was King Herod. Help us, Lord. The scholars could not, uh, 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 the scholars of the Hebrews could no doubt quote scripture, but they were too busy pursuing things other than the star. They knew where Messiah would be born, but they were too busy to go and find him. Surely one of those scholars would have a twinkling of a desire that when they heard the wise men that would say, I'm coming with you, I'm curious. They weren't even curious, amen. But the wise men came and they had the objective, where is he? Where is he? That is born king, oh, Holy Ghost. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Because I'm not just looking for him just to find him. I'm going to worship him. I want to work. I brought gifts with me. I brought worship gifts with me. I have come to find him and I'm going to worship him. Hallelujah. That in itself, brothers and sisters, is the the, the whole story of being a Christian. A whole story of being a child of God is wrapped up in that statement. Where is he? And I'm come to worship him. I'm going to go find him. And if I find him, I'm going to worship him. If I find him, I'm going to serve him. When I find him, I'm going to fall before him and give him glory and praise. Is there anybody today on a quest? Are you on a journey? Are you on a vision quest? Are you on a path? Are you on a pursuit? Perhaps all of Jerusalem missed this opportunity it passed them by. Why? Why didn't the scholars go with them? Why? I mean, that's the whole life of a Hebrew is waiting for their Messiah. Why? Indifference, apathy, laziness, busyness, unbelief, Skepticism, perhaps all of those things and more. But whatever the reason, they didn't go. But there were some men the Bible calls wise men. And as the old saying resounds in my brain right now, wise men still seek him. Wise ladies still seek him. Wise children still seek him. Wise grandparents still seek him. Hallelujah. Wise teenagers still seek him. Amen. Where is he? Where is he? And the Bible said after they left the doubters, after they left the skeptics, after they left the lazy and those that were foreign to the idea of who Jesus was, the Bible said they left and they saw the star again. And when they saw the star, what did they do? What did they do? Rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Hallelujah. One moment of revelation. No telling how. About two years at least. It took the journey about two years because when they found him, Herod asked how old and how long and that's why he killed all the babies two and under because somewhere in the span of about two years, the revelation, one moment of revelation put them on a path to go seek Jesus over dune and mountain. Amen. Through peril. Amen. 
Amen. And some people have got to have a writing in the sky. They have got to have another word and then another word and then another word. I'll pursue him. Amen. If somebody will come up and know all it takes is one revelation, yes. one word, one moment, and there ought to be something that sparks in us. And these men are not even Holy Ghost filled. They're not even believers of the Hebrew God. But they had enough to follow a moment of revelation. A moment of revelation. Can you lift your hands and ask for a moment? Ask for a moment of revelation. I am concerned with this generation, particularly in the American church, in the American apostolic church, that we have become so focused with the periphery around Jesus, that we have been so focused and enamored with all the things that come out of him, all the things that he supplies, everything that he produces, that, that we pursue it. And like those that followed him for the fishes and the loaves, that followed him for the miracles, we pursue him not for him, but we want the blessing. We want the touch. We want the emotional high. We want the need met. We want our bellies filled. And Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, then you must partake of all of me. Don't follow me for the loaves. Don't follow me for the, the blessings. Don't Praise God. Oh, that's even louder. I like it like that. Don't turn me down too much. But don't let me be too loud. Boy, y'all have got a hard job to please pastor, don't you? The fact of the matter is that we can find him. But we have to pursue him. Yes, he came seeking for me. Yes, he came seeking for the lost. But he's also looking for us to see the stars of revelation of who he is and go after it. In John chapter 12 and verse 20, the Bible says that there were certain Greeks Somebody say outsiders. Among them that came to worship at the feast, the same came therefore to Philip, which was, in, was of Bethsaida, rather, of Galilee, and desired him, saying, what'd they say? Sir, we would see Jesus. We get our eye on everything else. We get our eye on this world. We get our eye on our problems. We get our eye on our circumstances. Oh, that we would say as the other outsiders, sir, we would see Jesus. Can, can, can I show you something that blew my mind just as I was studying it? Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And, and, and again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And what was Jesus' response? His response was, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. What was he saying? It's time for me to go to the cross. It is time for me to go and have my death, burial, and resurrection. Why? Because there's some outsiders seeking me. There are some outsiders seeking after me. Oh, my. Does anybody feel like an outsider sometime? You feel like you don't fit in? But if we could just simply say, I want to see Jesus. I want to, you got a problem? I want to see Jesus. You got a child that doesn't do what you want him to do? I'm going to go see Jesus. You got a body that's not acting right and health has come against you? Amen. What are you going to do? I want to go see Jesus. Amen. You got trouble in your head and in your mind and in your soul 
and in your heart. Amen. The first place we want to go is somewhere other than Jesus. I think that Jesus ought to be the first pursuit. I'm going after him. Sir, we would see Jesus. The Apostle Paul, Sister Gill and I were talking about this recently. Let me just do a little sidebar Bible teaching right now. When you hear the word Saul and Paul, there is no great mystery there of a name change. Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul is his Greek name. Y'all got that? We talk about him being changed. Yeah, he was changed, but he still had the same name. All right, back to my message. Paul's original pursuit was of Jehovah that he knew. He relentlessly studied the Torah and the Hebrew scriptures. His quest turned into a crusade to incarcerate and to kill Christians and those who that were followers of the way. The story of this scholar who became a seeker of Jesus happened on a one moment encounter on the road to Damascus when he saw a light and Jesus spoke to him. Just an encounter shifted him from being so saturated with the Hebrew customs and the Hebrew ways that he began to pursue Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. What is he saying? I'm a bad man. I'm a scholar. I know it. He's, he begins to say what his, his, his statement, he begins to bake, back it up with verse 5. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, I was blameless. Wow. This was one real strong Jew. But what things were gained to me? Those I counted loss. For what? For what? I count all that as loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things. I reckon all things, all things, not just the things that I bragged about a moment ago, not just what I have done and my accomplishments and my graduation and my degrees, but I count all things. Somebody say all things. All things but loss. Amen. For the ex excellency, the excelling, the supreme knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, waste, and refuge, that I may do what? Win Christ. That I may win Christ and be found in him. Somebody say in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. He said I was blameless according to the law, but I needed Jesus to really be righteous in God. Yes. Verse 10, he says, that I may know him. <clears throat> Somebody say, the greatest pursuit and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering me being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead not as though I had already attained either were already perfect but I follow after what is he saying where is he I'm following after him I'm pursuing him I'm going after Jesus amen why do you come to church why are you here today? What's your purpose? I know there are perhaps many, but the purpose number one ought to be, I am after Jesus. 
I am pursuing Jesus. I am going after Jesus. I want to, I count everything in my life, everything I know and everything that I've done and everything that I've accomplished and all of the people that I do know and where I have been, I count it all as waste and refuge that I may pursue the excelling, ever-growing, ever-powerful, ever-supreme knowledge of Jesus Christ that I may know him more today than I knew him yesterday, that I could experience his power greater today than what I did yesterday. I'm on a quest. I'm on a pursuit. And brothers and sisters, it's got to be our number one pursuit. It has got to be our greatest pursuit. Would you lift your hands and praise to the Lord? Praise God. He said, I'm pursuing this, that I may know him, that I may know him. Verse 12 says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that if I may apprehend for which also I am apprehended of Christ, Jesus. He said, I don't think that I've made it yet. I don't think that I've arrived yet. Amen. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press towards the mark of having a big church. I press towards the mark for having multiple degrees. I press toward the mark of being able to preach conferences and camp meeting. I press towards the mark of being able to write a book that everybody reads. I press toward the mark of having a million followers in my social media. I press toward the mark of being able to preach and heal people and see people saved and back. No, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, my pursuit is Jesus. It's got to be our greatest quest. It has got to be our greatest quest. Here's the heart of the greatest pursuit. Everything can go, but give me Jesus. I can lose it all. In a moment, but give me Jesus. Everything else is loss in the pursuit of Jesus. Whatever I have to do, whatever I have to give up, whatever I have to surrender, whatever I have to go through, it must be somehow that it throttles me and pushes me and propels me to know Jesus more. If you're suffering with disease right now, if you're suffering with the sickness, let me just tell you, don't pursue healing, pursue the healer. Don't pursue healing, pursue the healer. If you're troubled in your mind and your mind is all messed up, don't pursue peace, pursue the prince of peace. Amen, I've come to tell somebody, stop searching for what you think you need but what you need is in Jesus for all the promises of God are in him yay and amen pursue Jesus Jesus is more than just a story to fill our minds the month of December He's the Lord of glory. He is the great I am. He's the only way. He's the only truth. He is the only life. Amen. We must know him and pursue him more and greater. This must be our life and our love. This must be our pursuit. Jesus more of you, less of me. Jesus, more of you and less of my pride. Jesus, more of you and less of my my possessions and my pursuits. Jesus, I must know you. Do you know where he is? Where is he that is born king of the Jews? I have come to worship him. I have come to know him. I have come to find him. I want to know more about Jesus. The greatest pursuit. <clears throat> we must know him. Jesus is not merely the protagonist of the Bible, he is the Bible. He is the Word. The world is busy on a quest of finding themselves and discovering themselves. And how does that help us? 
Where did that bring us? To self-discovery of I, I, my own. I can decide who I am, who my own identity is. Amen. When I start pursuing Jesus, it, it, it will, I will find out who I am. But I'll find out through him and what he says of me, who I am. He tells me who I am. Woo, praise be to God. Hallelujah. You can turn me down just a little bit, brother, because I'm about to get loud. Jesus. Jesus. It's the greatest quest. Jesus. 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 Oh, Lord. More of him, less of me. Colossians 1. And 15, speaking of Christ, Paul writes to the church at Colossia, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven. Somebody say the invisible. And in the earth, say the visible. Then he said things that are visible and invisible, whether they be thrones our dominions, our principalities, our powers, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. He is before all things. He's before your problem. He is before your sin. He is before your struggle. He is before your need. He's the answer before the question ever arises. He is the healer before the sickness ever comes on your body. Amen. He is the peace before you're ever tormented one time. He is the one that can bring you hope because he is hope. I'm telling you today, the greatest pursuit you could ever have in your life is not more money. It's not more money in your bank account. It's not having a better job. Hey, man, your pursuit is not even having a family. Your pursuit, if you can get Jesus, then you can get everything because he is before all things. And by him, all things consist. That's what the word says. By him all things consist. Hey Amen. Lord, you can, you can speak it into existence. You can call it into existence. Hey Amen. He did it in creation as the word. Why can't he do it in your own life? Hallelujah. The greatest pursuit is Jesus. Period. Why is Jesus the greatest pursuit? He's God manifested in the flesh, for one thing. He's the image of the invisible God, for another. He created all things, visible and invisible. Thrones, dominions, he created everything. I think I need to know him. Hallelujah. He's the Lord of everything, everywhere. All the fullness dwells in him. Mm. I didn't read that verse. Hallelujah. Let's go back to our, our text. Put up... Verse 17 again, for he is before all things. By him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church. Somebody say the head. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in all things, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Notice it says it in another place that he is the, uh, the fullness of the God had dwelleth in him bodily. But what we see here is that all things dwell in him. He is my all in all. All I need. He's all I need. I may not could quote scripture, but he's all I need. I may not know theology, I may not can explain revelation, but I know the one that revelation is written about. I wish I could just run around the church about three times right now because he is my pursuit. He is my greatest pursuit. Jesus. People say you oneness folks of Jesus, Jesus only. I, I, I say that is a possibility, distinct possibility. But a better terminology is that we are Jesus everything. We are Jesus everything from Genesis to Revelation. He is. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. I can't have faith without him for he is the author and the finisher of my faith. Uh, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. Well, who is the word? Jesus. Woo! 
If I get Jesus, I get faith. If I get Jesus, I get revelation. If I get Jesus, I get understanding. He is the wisdom of God. He is the Sabbath of God. If I get him, I get what I need in my life. His imprint, his fingerprint is on the cosmos. And yet it's on the smallest, smallest particle of your being. His imprint is there. His DNA. His DNA is there. Jesus. In all things he might have the preeminence. First, number one, top, above all others, there is none like him. If I'm to know him, I've got to pursue him. I've got to find him. I've got to ask as the wise men did, where is he? Born king of the Jews. Well, I want to tell you, right here is where we must start. In the word. Because Jesus is revealed in scripture. He's revealed in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Jesus is the word, so he's found throughout. I believe we get so preoccupied sometimes arguing over translations and transliterations and paraphrases that we forget the author is God. I don't care how many paraphrases are written, how many misinterpretations are written, how many bad translations are done. His word's going to remain his word is going, we know more now about the original text than they knew a hundred years ago. We know more today about the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, than that was known 50 years ago or, or 25 years ago or even five. Do you realize they're still finding Dead Sea Scrolls? They're still uncovering. They recently uncovered the book of Esther. Why? Why did God, what, what's so powerful about Dead Sea Scrolls because they would not survive any other location but in the area of the Dead Sea because it is so far below sea level it, can, it will not be contaminated and God said I'll hide my word I'll show you my word but I'll keep it until it is needed the devil cannot write enough bad translation to stop this he cannot write enough books from so called theologians that want to paint Jesus as a man he can't get enough people to post about it and write about it and, and follow that dead theology but Jesus is in his word and he said his word would not pass away Jesus told his scoffers and skeptics and theologians and religious folk. He said this to them in John 5, 39. He said, search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life. You've got a pretty good understanding of the word. He said, but if you'll search a little bit deeper, you will find they are they which testify of me. You, may, you might want to be here Sunday, Christmas Eve morning, because Bishop is going to step up behind this pulpit and do an incredible job of preaching from Moses. Jesus starting at Moses and the road to Emmaus. You don't want to miss that. But Jesus is found in his word. Revelation of Jesus Christ comes by his word. Jesus is the word. You will find the psalmist said, Lo, I come prophesying of, of the Messiah that he would come in the volume of the book that is written of me, he says. Speaking of the Messiah, a prophetic word. We find that Revelation tells us that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Jesus himself said, all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. 
What, did he, what is Jesus saying? If you want to look it up, that's going to be found in Luke 24, 44. What is Jesus saying? He said, everything's got to be fulfilled. He is saying, I am the embodiment and the fulfillment of every messianic prophecy. I am the fulfillment of everything that was written about me. Amen. I am here to fulfill it. Hallelujah. What a statement. No wonder they hated him. No wonder they didn't like him. No wonder they wanted to stone him. You also find that, that, that verse where Jesus said in the beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, things concerning himself. How many of you like to have been there for that message? I was asked one time what my favorite message was, and I said, that's a very hard thing to say because there's so many of them. I said, but there was one that, that changed my life as a young preacher. I heard Robert Bear on tape, I didn't hear it in person, but Robert Bear, who was a walking Bible, he could quote the entire Bible, no doubt, but he preached a message called the incomparable Christ. I still have it in my, in, in my uh, uh, MP3 files. I've got it somewhere on my computer. And he begins to uncover Christ like few I've ever heard. Hey, man, I want to tell you, I'd like to, I'd, like to, I'd like to have been there for that message, but I had rather been there for hearing Christ explain from Moses <clears throat> all the way through, explaining who he was and how. Let me just tell you, if you will pull, and I'm going to show you in just a little bit, if you will pull a thread in Genesis, it will be revealed over in the Gospels and all the way to Revelation. Why? It speaks of Jesus. We find that Jesus also said in John 5, 46, for had you believed Moses, you would have been believed me because he wrote of me. Somebody say, ouch. That hurt them. No wonder. Acts records in 1043 that to him gave all the prophets witness. All the prophets witness of him. This one I love. Where Andrew and Nathaniel and Philip were all part of this conversation and they said, Let, let's put that up, John 1.45. John 1.45. Philip findeth Nathaniel and saith unto him, what does he say? We found him. We found him. Well, who'd you find? We found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. We found him. I cannot be embarrassed about my Jesus. I found my answer. I can't just make him some sideshow or, or just some particle of my faith, but he is central. He is central. He is the circumference. He is both the object and the subject of my worship. I have found him. Turn to somebody if you have found him and tell them, I found him. I found him for whom my soul craved. I found him for my sin-sick mind. I found him the one that I have longed for and didn't even know it. I have found him. But he said, Moses, in the law, and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. When you begin to search the Old Testament, you will find prophetically that it was given where he would be born, when he would be born, and how he would be born when he entered the world. He was, prophetically, it was said he would be born of a woman in the line of Adam and Seth's seed. Somebody say, Seth's seed. Through Noah's son, Shem, amen, Abraham, through Abraham's seed. He would come through the tribe of Judah, and he would be of the son of David. And he fulfilled every one of them. The Old Testament predicted that Christ would die for our sins. Isaiah 53 says he was wounded for our transgressions. 
He was bruised for our iniquity. It was nothing that was comely that we would like him or want him. The world today sees Jesus on the cross as a bloody mess. But to the redeemed, it is my pathway to salvation. It is the hope of my regeneration and atonement. It is in Jesus I find the death, burial, and the resurrection. It is in Jesus I find the hope of forgiveness and redemption. And my sins washed away in water when I go down in Jesus' name. There is so much scripture that is, is open and we see it. But Jesus did say, search the scriptures. There is, Jesus is hidden often in scriptures as well. Genesis 5 is one of those examples. If you've ever been in your study, Genesis 1 through 4, man, that's good quick read. You come to Genesis 5 and it's your first opportunity to be caught by the genealogies. In Genesis 5, it tells us the genealogies from Adam to Noah. Boring. Anybody find the genealogies boring? Oh, come on, be honest. Yeah. Details. I am not a details person. Let's get this and get this done and we'll, we'll, we'll figure out details later on some things. My family should say amen. It's hard to figure out how they gave their kids names. And reading Genesis chapter 5, and you start through there, I get hung up, and, and, and that's why I'm so thankful to have apps that read it for you. Some of those names, you would feel like I could produce it better if I had three marbles in my mouth and drinking a, 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 a sip of 7-Up. I could say it better. But I come across this by Dr. Chuck Messler who writes in his book called The Hidden Treasures. I did not know this, but I'm glad that I come across this. The first man's name was Adam. And Adam, are you ready to have your shocks blown off? Means man. Man, everybody say man. Adam's son was named Seth, which means appointed when he was born, his mother said, For God hath appointed me another seed in the stead of Abel. Appointed. Seth's son was Enosh, which means mortal, frail, miserable. It is from the Hebrew root. Yeah, what a name. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to name you miserable. <laughs> Be careful what you name kids. They might live up to it. The root for his name means to be incurable as a wound or grief or sickness. In his case, wickedness. It was in the days of Enosh that idolatry rose and they defamed and defiled the name of the living God. Enosh had a son whose name was Kena, which his name means sorry. Or sorrow, dirge. Amen. So, 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 wounded mortal names his son a dirge. Sorrow makes sense. I have no idea why they named their kids this kind of stuff. Do you? Kena's son was Mahaliel, which means, thank God somebody decided to do something different, means blessed or praise. Mahalio means the blessed God. The blessed God. Somebody say the blessed God. Mahalio's son was named uh, Jared. The verb here means shall come down. Jared means shall come down. Okay? Shall come down. Are, are, are. Enoch had a son, uh, or Jared had a son, Enoch, which means teaching or commencement. You will find that Enoch was the first of four generations of preachers. In fact, the earliest recorded prophecy was by Enoch, and it was recorded of all places in Jude. Enoch was the first prophetic voice that we have recorded other than God. 
and, 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 and you find it in the book of Jude. Enoch had a son, and his son was Methuselah. How many heard that name? Can anybody tell me what Methuselah was? Oldest man in the Bible. We got that down on every Bible trivia, uh, uh, every sword drill, every question and answer. <clears throat> Methuselah, the oldest man of the Bible, his name is interesting because Enoch, the first prophet, named his son Methuselah, and his name is strange because it means his death shall bring. God gave to Enoch the prophecy of the coming judgment of the flood. And the Lord gave it to him and said, when your son dies, it's going to happen. So he named his son when you die. No wonder they kept him alive as long as they could. You read your Bible and when he dies, the flood happens. Okay. Methuselah has a son whose name is Lemek. Lemek, uh, you, can, you can get that one pretty easily because in English we, we say lament. Lemek suggests despairing, despairing. And so Lemek, of course, becomes the father of Noah. And, and I like it that people learn to live a little bit different. Man, let's not call our son despairing, but he called him Noah, which means comfort or to bring relief. A, a Lemek explains himself in, in Genesis 5 where he says, and he called his name Noah saying, the same shall comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And, 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 and she's got this graphic up here and it lists the names and what they mean. Now let's read it. Man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down, teaching that his death shall bring the despairing comfort and rest. Yes. All right. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying Jesus is hid in the, in the Genesis, book of Genesis chapter 5 because man is appointed to mortal right. sorrow. Amen, but the blessed God, the blessed God, oh, not a second person in a trinity, the blessed God. I wish, I wish somebody would shout, Jesus, 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 hallelujah. It's Jesus in the morning. It's Jesus at noonday. It's Jesus when the sun goes down. It's Jesus while I'm sleeping. It's Jesus when I go to church. It's Jesus when I pray. It's Jesus when I baptize. It's Jesus when we cast out devils. It's Jesus, Jesus only. Hallelujah. He is everywhere, both hidden and revealed. He is the ultimate pursuit. I could go into more. I'm going to just throw this out to you. Just, just, just out to you. Just studying my notes. I'm going to give you one more. Brother Lang shared with us that in the Hebrew, the fourth word in the Hebrew of Genesis chapter 1 and 1 is not found in the English translation because the fourth word is an untranslatable word. He said, but in the Hebrew, it is Alpha and Talat. Two, two letters. Alpha and Talat. It's in the original writings of the Hebrew, the ancient writings. This word is there. But it can't be translated. But when you look at it, Alpha is the first letter. Talat is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The very first verse and if you read it, it would read literally like this. In our understanding, in the beginning, the Alpha and Omega created. That's in Genesis. Seven verses from the end of Revelation. Do you know what Jesus said? He said it several times before. You know what Jesus said of himself? I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the, from Genesis to Revelation, Jesus, 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 
Jesus, can he help my life? You bet he can. Can he set me free? Oh, yes, he can. Can he turn me around? Oh, yes, he can. Oh, praise God. Find Jesus, you find truth. People are in pursuit of truth and they can't find it because Jesus is truth. True, Christ, true Christianity is not the pursuit of being Christ-like. It is realizing Christ in us is the hope of glory. As long as you're trying to imitate and you don't realize that Christ is in you and he wants to come through you and out of you and impact our... Every decision, every job change, every marriage, amen, every identity, everything that you're in, amen. I'm not trying to imitate Christ, amen. I just want to live out what he has put in. If I will let the flesh die, then Christ can come out. I want Christ to come out. Woo! Hallelujah. No wonder he is everything. He is my all in all. Paul said it like this in Galatians 2 and 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yes. He said, I'm a dead man living. I'm gonna preach some sometime on a message. I wanna preach on the third dimension of glory and let you know that there is a place that you can walk with God, amen, that you gotta die first. But you gotta die first. Amen. And he said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ. Christ does what? He liveth in me. I'm not just trying to imitate Christ. I'm not just crying, trying to be Christ-like. I am trying to let Christ come out. Hallelujah. Let him come in. Oh, but I want him to come out in my life. The life that I live. I live because Christ lives in me. Jesus doesn't possess in Christianity and the gospel and the apostolic message is not a cute, palatable, lovely, furry truth. Soft. It is rather a howling message against sin. It is a bloody cross truth. It is a gospel of death, burial, but resurrection truth. There is no truth apart from Jesus. There is no way other than Jesus. There is no life without him. Without him, I cannot live. Without him, I cannot move. Without him, I cannot have my being. As Paul said to the Mars Hill group, he said, you're unknown God, let me tell you who he is. He is Jesus, that he is in you, and in him you have your breath, your life, and your being. Mm, I can't make it without him. I can't go one day without him. Can I tell you the reason that you ought to love coming to the house of the Lord? The reason you ought to love your prayer devotion and your personal consecration and your word time is because it is the ultimate pursuit. I'm not here to look cute. I'm not here to just love you with you. Yes, that's part of it. Fellowship is part of it. Amen. But oh, I want him. I need him. Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. He's the main thing. His main thing. We often look at the doctrines that we teach as being so important, and they are. But some people can be proficient debaters about what they know of their theology. But the reason that we baptize in the name of Jesus is not to denounce somebody's other idea. It's because he said to. He said that we are to be baptized in his name. Why? Because when you get baptized in his name, you get baptized into Christ, Paul said. We are buried with him in baptism. So when do I get put into Christ? When I go down in the lovely name of Jesus, I come up a different person because I am now in him and he will soon be in me. If you have never spoken with other tongues as the Holy Ghost comes, you might be in Christ, but he wants to be in you. Christ in you. Hallelujah. 
I'm not going to read this first, Sister um, Maria, but I'm going to refer to it. When, when Jesus, after the resurrection, met the disciples, he looked at Peter and he asked him this one question. Peter, do you love me? He asked it once. Then he asked it again. Peter, do you love me? And he got a little irritated. He asked him again. And by this time, as most hot-headed people will be, he's ready to just throw down. He said, Lord, I told you that I loved you. The question is, not do you love this church? Or do you love your pastor? The ultimate question is, not do you love your wife or your husband? The ultimate question is, not do you love your family legacy, but do you love him? Lovest thou me more than these? Yes, I love my wife. I would give my life for my wife. Amen. Yes, I love my family. Yes, I love this church. I love all y'all. I love all y'all. But I'm not going to put him over you. And you should not too. Jesus, he's the ultimate pursuit. I have so much more to preach to you, but I'm going to wrap this up. I cannot grow without Jesus. I cannot be saved without Jesus. I cannot have one promise without Jesus. Matter of fact, I can't do anything. For Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. He said, but if you abide in me, <laughs> where is he? The song, without him, I could do nothing. Without him, I'd surely fail. Oh, without him, I'd be dripping like a ship without a sail, was written by a 17-year-old Mylon Lefevre. I didn't realize that, but we have sung that song over and over and over again, and it's true. Without him, I can do nothing. So I say, Jesus, oh Jesus, I need you. I need you. Stop pursuing blessing and pursue Jesus, and you will get the blessing. Stop pursuing all the things that are around him and you will get it. Amen. Somebody say Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. So I echo the question of the wise men. Where is Jesus? Where is he born king of the Jews? Because I've come ready to worship him. Amen. Today, have you come ready to find him, to seek him, and to worship him? Did you bring some frankincense and myrrh with you today? Then why don't you stand to your feet and begin to give it to him by the lips. We offer up the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips, by lifting up our lips to him in praise. Lord, I love you today. Lord, I bless your name today. Lord, I worship you today. I pursue you, Jesus. Jesus, I want to know you. I want to know who you are. I want to find you in your word. I want to see you, Lord Jesus, come to life like never before. Man, in my mind, I want to see you, Lord Jesus. I need more of you and less of me. Oh, God, I need more of you and less of me. Hallelujah. All my years of preaching, all my years of pastoring, oh, God, it means nothing. It means nothing without you. I need you, Lord. I pursue you, Jesus. I need fresh revelation from you, Lord. I'm not looking for the Thank you for listening to the MPC podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorachurch.com to learn more about our ministry.